Welcome to the School of Risk podcast, where we have insightful, valuable, and sometimes intense conversations on the various dynamics of risk in life and in business. I am your host, Isabel Egudo, and with me on the show today is Dr. Heda Al-Hakim. Dr. Heda is an ophthalmologist, he's a psychotherapist, he's also an author. We're going to let him tell us the, author, the, the book he's authored. And he's also a podcast host like me. His podcast is called Surgical Spirit. Mm, let's find out what that is. And you know what time it is. It's time to go to school. Welcome to the School of Risk Podcast, Dr. Ada. It's Ada Al-Hakim. Did I pronounce it right? Yes, sir. You have. I mean, I have difficulty in, in in pronouncing your name. I think it's it's. I want you to try. Try. Chisabel. Correct. Yes. I go for the last name. Um, I, I can't say it. No, you can't. You can't. You must say it. That's the rule before we proceed. <laughs> I can't say it, man. I'm in. I'm in trouble now. Okay. Here. Here we go. Oh, give it a try. Egudo. There you go. As easy as that. <laughs> it's as easy as performing a surgery. <laughs> but, you know, it's quite interesting because uh, I see a lot of, um, you know, African Nigerian patients and they do have some interesting names and sometimes yes. double or triple or quadruple barreled names. Yes. And then you sit there and it's got like a bit of, I don't know, a bit of French, a bit of Portuguese, a bit of touch, you know, Dutch. It's got all these sort of kind of European you know, um, air and or and e and you know that kind of stuff. That's the dynamics of names. You know, um, names are an interesting way of identifying ourselves. And the funny thing is that most times we don't even pick our names ourselves, and we live with it for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I mean, they have pro- you know they have profound uh, uh, effect and meaning. I mean, Haida yes. um, means um, a lion, but a particular type of lion. So. Um, mm. It's actually a, um, uh, you know, quite an aggressive line, Haida. Um, uh, majestic and aggressive. So not a line to do, you know, to, to mess around with, which yeah. is quite interesting. And, you know, given that, you know, I'm not that kind of person, really, because you can mess with me anytime. And, you know, I don't take things too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of an interest. But, you know, you, you describe yourself as a lion in some way. Do you do you possess? Some of the characteristics, besides the aggressive side of the lion, do you think? Yeah, I've got a beard. Yeah, yeah, I've got a beard. I like eating meat. You know, um, the wife's the boss, um, <laughs> and I just sit. You know, I just lazy around in the sun most of the day, and and you know, that's it. Yeah, I don't do no, much. Uh, there's more to that because for you to be a doctor, for you to be an ophthalmologist, you know, performing all the surgeries, that that requires some kind of some. Some bravery, some courage, to it because that's no, no. You're right. You're right. No, no. You, you know, you are. You are absolutely right. Tell us, about, come... tell us about what, what, what you do. Yeah. So, um, more about what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, I come from quite, quite a religious and and political family um, in Iraq. So, the Al Hakim family is um, steeped in religion and politics, and um, there were sort of the original anti-British. Um, rebellious group of individuals who tried to kick the British out when they first came um, after First World War. So, you know, we've always been anti-colonial and, you know, really steeped in our own culture and 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 um, heritage. 
so I've always been a bit of a, you know, rebel really, and I don't like establishment, and um, I don't like the usual narrative, you know, the usual propaganda that 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 you you know you sort of hear. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Saddam didn't didn't like as much um, as you'd imagine. Didn't didn't like what? Um, the fact that we were calling him out and saying that you know this isn't right and that he's a your family who are involved in politics. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's more to do with the religion rather than politics. Mm. And well, as you why, know, why, why would they say so? Well, you see, because I mean, from from what politics. We... I mean, politics is about essentially helping the majority of people make the right decision mm -hmm. most of the time. And, you know, that's steeped in essentially wisdom and knowledge. And the most archaic of ideas and the most um, transcendent of ideas are found in religion, because um, at the end of the day, we want to know the best information and the best knowledge. And this is within a, a value structure, which we all consider to be beneficial, because at the end of the day, we want to be better. Mm -hmm. And if we want to be better, we look at a value structure and obviously, yeah. in any kind of value structure or hierarchy, there's one at the top. Yes. And there's always something that transcends what we imagine to be ideal. Are you familiar with um, Spiral Dynamics, which looks at value systems? It rings a bell. It rings a bell. Yeah. So, you know, um, you can't really separate religion from politics because it's one and, one and the other. I mean, you can use semantics differently. Mm. You know, people are are essentially replacing religion with 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 law, but it's another hierarchy of values. And at the top of the hierarchy of values is this sort of whole structure of law. So, you know, that's why we couldn't really separate religion from from politics. Um, so yeah, you know, Saddam didn't like um, many of us because we had you know a very strong religious voice. So we had lots of prisoners of consciousness, uh, conscious within the, um, uh, you know, Iraqi system. And, you know, in one day in 1983, he rounded up 113 members of our family, male, male members of our family, and imprisoned them. Wow. And within two years, he, he executed 54. And, wow. you know, these were nonviolent individuals. Um, they were just, they just happened to be male. Where were you at that point in time? Um, we actually escaped. We, we left Iraq in 79. Okay. My dad's excuse was, you know, was to do his PhD because he's a, he's a, he's a scientist. So he, he kind of rebelled against the religion. So to speak, you know, sort of rebelled against the rebellion. Um, cause he thought that, you know, the way forward was, was science essentially. Um, so we left Iraq in 79, which was a good thing because we, we left just before the, you know, start of the Iran and, and Iraq war. And we came to the UK and he, he uh, was finishing off his PhD. Um, he's a marine biologist. Okay. Um, that. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a zoologist. Um, he loves his fishes. Um, I should talk to him because I love, I love aquariums. Yeah, yeah, the guy, you know, the guy is obsessed with fishes, and I mean, he's he's obsessed about animals in general, but you know, more so in fishes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he 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 kind of left the whole quagmire of of politics and religion and so on. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of background, and 
if you have that kind of background, you don't shy away from political and religious discourse. Yes. You know, that's always been part and parcel of what we talk about, really. And, and you know, all this sort of non-political, non-religious talk is a bit alien to me. Anyway, so, I mean, I kind of grew up in this sort of pseudo-religious kind of political plus scientific. So it was a kind of a weird mixture of, of having both. Um, but I decided to go down the scientific route. And how did it influence you? I think that that's where you were just going to go into now. How did that influence you into what, into where you well, are? Well, contradiction, did? really. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because, you oh. know, because, well, you've got two conflicting ideologies. You know, you, you've got the physical world and the metaphysical world. And, okay. you know, do they come together? Are they mutually exclusive? Or are they um, one? Or we just don't understand? Or, or are they one just with and different terminology and, you know, different language? So, you know, but I think I've always been involved in conflict, so to speak. You know, I mean, Iraq's always been involved in conflict, you know, to, to time immemorial, you know. Um, and even the word Iraq means, means a fight. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, so sort of uh, Iraq is essentially like, it means conflict. Uh, you know, that's the kind of the base mm -hmm. lexicon of it. Um, so I've always, and you know, I mean, I like a bit of, yeah, you know, a bit of tension, a bit of, like, oh, I, uh, I love that. What does shit, it do yeah. for you? What does it do for you? I mean, when, when you say you like a bit of tension and, you know, yes, we all experience different kind of stresses in our life. You know, conflict is a, is a, is a form of stress. In, yeah. in in the in what in risk management in risk, what we do in risk we call there's something we call risk so it's stress testing and it's yeah. all it's all about inducing the stress into a bunch of people you can and, and governments actually do use that they do induce stress into people to see how far or how much they can do or how much they can influence them or how much resistance they will get if they're trying to push um something a new policy or law so it stress test is a method of inducing yeah. stress and conflict can you can say it might be an unwelcome stress but it is a form of stress you know and um does bring about well i mean you know that's how that's how the body works i mean the body works by dealing with not having steady state but but trying to find equilibrium within an unstable environment so for example you know if your blood pressure goes up it doesn't leave it there it has to find different mechanisms in order to reduce the blood the blood pressure so it does all sorts of weird and wonderful things so physiologically speaking our body is always in this sort of constant cycle of looking for conflict looking for problems and solving it you know and um, I've always been that kind of individual, you know, if, if there's conflict, you know, if there's an argument, I mean, you know, in school, whenever there was an argument, I was there sort of in between trying to find out, obviously enjoying the whole, you know, conflict and fight and so on, you know, it's, it's great to watch because it's quite entertaining. And, you know, I really enjoy, you know, watching boxing and MMA and so on. So it's, it's, it's that whole conflict. But once you get involved in trying to solve the problem, yeah, I mean, it, it brings you a lot of joy and satisfaction, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I realized that, you know, conflict is all around us, and I quite enjoy being in the middle of it and trying to solve it. I mean, it's not nice being involved in a conflict, and, you know, that's quite physiologically un mm -hmm. unstabling. Yeah. Um, 
so I kind of unconsciously became more and more risk averse because I didn't like being involved in conflict um but that's quite damaging because you kind of you don't excel in anything when you're kind of risk averse. How would you class yourself as being risk averse? I mean, come on, look at your accomplishments. You're an ophthalmologist, a psychotherapist, you are a podcast yeah. host. You're also an author. What's the book you're author? You, I mean, what's the book you've authored? Let our listeners know. I'm sure they yeah. want to know. Well, you see, I mean, let's go back to the story. Let's go back to the story. So, you okay, know. We'll come back to this, though. We'll come back yeah, to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll come back to the... To, to the book um so yeah so i was sort of in, in 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 this whole kind of mixture of religion politics and then i decided to go down the route of my dad which is um a science and then um and, and then my dad's you know he got his phd and then he realized well maybe it's not for him and then he went back into politics and then he was um one of I the major you go back in iraq well, we were in the opposition, you see. So um, his his boss was one of the major opposition leaders to Saddam. Okay. Uh, so so he worked for him, and then he had a um, Islamic conference in Sudan, and my dad was with him. He got assassinated by Saddam's uh, assassins. Who got my, assassinated? His boss. My okay. dad got shot. He got a couple oh, wow. of bullets through his knees, and then he. He came back essentially a, a broken man, and then you know we 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 had MI6 involved and MI5 and sort of all this. So it was, it was kind of an interesting. And I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to get involved in this. I'm 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 going to stay as scientific. And you know, in Asian families, your son and daughters have to become doctors, otherwise, you're you're a bit of a failure. So you know that was. It's not different from African families, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's got to be a doctor. If it's not a doctor, then a, a lawyer, maybe engineer. Otherwise, it's a failure unless you've got stacks of money from your from your business. So you know that's the kind of mentality. So um, and you know, um, yeah, he wasn't financially astute, so we had lots of financial difficulties. We were on benefits and sort of all that kind of stuff. But you know that you you know what it's like when someone tells you you can't do it, and you're you know you're not proper English and you don't have an English name you think to yourself well I've got to work twice as hard and mm -hmm. yes absolutely. you know get through that so yeah I mean I managed to get into medical school in London um, and I was just driven uh, and the narrative was to go back home to Iraq and you know help the people there whose you know, narrative was that was that your family well it was my parents okay. it was my parents yeah yeah it was my parents narrative and, you know, I took that on because I was very much, you know, within the culture and, you know, within the religion. And um, that was my life purpose, really. And um, that drove me. It was very powerful. And and I was working London at the time. Then the invasion happened in 2003, which was, um, yeah, it was like seeing a, a miracle unfold because I would have never thought that, you know, in my lifetime, there would be a change of regime Mm -hmm. um because i you know i never lived a life where there wasn't a regime a despot regime in iraq you know it was all killings and murders and 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 um executions and imprisonment and you know that was the whole narrative that that i grew in um so when you know the americans came in and the coalition forces 
you know, it was like a new dawn happening, you know, it was really surreal. And I remember watching it on, you know, I, I just finished one of my cataract operations and then one of my colleagues came and said, Lolo, come, come over, come, come watch it. And it was like so surreal. I thought, oh my God. And I thought, right, I need to go back, find a way back. So I booked, well, I mean, at the time you couldn't get into Iraq because there was no government and there was American troops everywhere. And yeah. someone said, well, you can go to, to Jordan and then from there you can find a way in. So I actually booked a ticket to Jordan in 2004. And I, I went to the border in, uh, you know, between Jordan and, and Iraq and they'd closed the border. There was thousands of trucks waiting to go into Iraq, you know, to send all kinds of interesting, you know, probably Nigerian businessmen sending all the, uh, you know, all, <laughs> all the stuff in there to make tons of money. I know, very, that would be. <laughs> very stereotypical. I know, I know. I know. But there were thousands of lorries waiting, you know, to get in because it was, it was like, why? You know, I mean, what were these lorries doing there? I mean, there was conflict going on. It was on. a new country business, isn't it? It was like it's a new country. Yeah, yeah. It was literally the country had been, you know, it's like, like, they like commodities. They were taking in things to sell, you know. God knows what it was. Yeah. God knows what it was. But it was like probably businessmen thinking, oh, my God, we can sell pretty much anything in here. Uh, because it, it was closed off from the world. It was similar yeah. to North, yeah. North, you know, yeah. North Korea. Wow. Um, so then they said, no, you can't go in. And I said, well, you know, my name is Hydra Al-Hakim. I'm from the Al-Hakim family. Da, 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 da. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 that, that's fine. Go and see the, um, you know, the general, you know, who's, who's, who's running the, the border. And I said, yeah, fine. So I went up and I saw the general that was running the border and he knew me and knew my family. And he's like, what are you doing here? You're crazy because, you know, you probably won't, I probably won't see you again if you go inside. And I was like, wow. no, no. Was that what he said? Yeah, yeah. He was like, are you sure you want to go in this? Because there's just American troops in there. And but there was a possibility you could have lost your life. Uh, or... Absolutely, absolutely. But what I didn't realise, what I didn't realise was that my uncle, my mum's brother, had a bit of a... Um, he had a bit of a following actually i didn't realize that i mean he's another very religious and, mm -hmm. and you know spiritual leader he had a bit of a following in there um and they actually contacted me and they said look if you want to come in just mention my name you know to whoever you go inside and we'll sort something out for you but you know the um the jordanian border is with with um sort of uh, the western part of iraq which is very sunni led and there was a lot of issues there um particularly with sort of sunni and shia because shias are more down in the south and central you've got the kurds in the north and then you've got the sunnis in the in the west so um i got in and then the first card that i found i say look you know i want to go to i'm from Nejef, which is southern iraq i said i want to go to Nejef. they said well no one from here goes to Nejef because you know that's southern iraq and we're too scared to go there but we can take you to a halfway house and then you can take it from there. Um, and then we, so I said, fine, we went through uh, the border and then we had to go past through Fallujah, which at the time had some uh, fighting with the American army. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, surprise, surprise, the car broke down in Fallujah, uh, which was absolutely wonderful. 
<laughs> and uh, I, I thought, oh my God, that's it, you know, head chopped off, whatever. Um, the car broke down and we were supposed to go to sort of a halfway house called Karbala, which is quite wait, famous. Wait, just hold that thought there. So now the you have you have the American soldiers. Were they so the were they who were they fighting? Was it was it because at that time I think had the terrorist guys gone in at that time? Or well, was it I mean I mean it was all a bit of a mess, really. I mean it was up for grabs. It was up for grabs, uh, essentially. But really, when I was there, it was very peaceful because everyone, everyone was kind of falling into their roles. You know, the shopkeeper would would open their shop, the doctor would go to their clinic, um, the barber would open their shop and, and and start barbering. So I mean, it was like people were just getting on with their lives, but there was no central government. You know, there was no um, authority essentially. So mm -hmm. people just got on with their lives, really, which was quite surreal. And it was very peaceful, actually. I mean, obviously, there were some areas that were hot spots where, you know, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd see actually, um, sometimes you see RPGs going off, sometimes you see uh, cars burning, you definitely hear, you know, bullets and, and, and bombs going off. Um, but, you know, people in that area know generally know where the hotspots is and you know they're not going to go in there unless you have you know unless you're into you know killing people and part of the military and you know you know i mean there's a lot of issues of of revenge killing there so you know a lot of the previous regime did leave very quickly particularly if they caused a lot of harm yeah. for the local people so there was a you know there's a large exodus of people coming out and the people that stayed were being picked off so that did happen um, there was a lot of looting as well, because initially, a lot of the government buildings were totally ransacked. Um, but that happened in the first six months, and then the US came in, and then they installed the, um, you know, Bremner. Um, um, interim government. Yeah, interim government. So there was some sort of, you know, initial uh, theme of of having a central government but you know essentially everyone was getting on with their jobs and you know the it's a tribal system you know in iraq so everyone kind of was under a um a tribe and as long as your tribe wasn't at war with another tribe you were you were kind of okay but you know if your tribe you know had a war with someone else and the government previously had come in and you know made a truce and now that government's gone it's like back to square one, one again, and back to the war. So, um, luckily, my family weren't in any kind of major wars with anyone else um, in Iraq apart from the central regime. And now that they've gone, we were kind of set up to be part of the new, you know, the new political powers. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of helped so me. You went back at that time. Why did you go back? I mean. It's not like you were in the you were you were not in government. You're not a military guy. You're a doctor. Why did you go back at that time? Well, well the central. You well, you know the central theme and the central narrative was okay. Uh, what can I do? Uh, my dad's a scientist. I became a doctor, and the thing for me was right. I can be a doctor and I can go back home and and help the people okay. because I mean at the end of the day, there's no doctors and doctors were leaving the country. Yeah, and you know when you're in this kind of metaphysical 
um, outlook. You don't think about the physical world. You don't think about fame. You don't think about material possessions. You're thinking about the afterlife, which is, you know, which is a very powerful narrative and it's a very powerful driving force. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it gives you a lot of power and it gives you a lot of confidence and it gives you a lot of assertiveness. And as you know, in life, if you're assertive and if I'm an extrovert, if you're an extrovert, people kind of sit down and listen to what you say and kind of give you what what you ask from them. It, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a powerful force. Mm. So and the people that said no, it was like, fine, I'll just go somewhere else. And so, you know, that was the sort of the driving narrative. And it's very powerful if, you know, if it drives you from the back pushing you forward it doesn't really stop you really so and you know i mean if you find yourself that you're going into a conflict zone and you're doing this you kind of get this delusional sense that well you can pretty much do anything so um it it's a very driving you know it's a very powerful driving force Mm -hmm. um you know where fear goes out the window and you become pretty pretty fearless so um yeah fear was something that if only a lot of people in the world um are not governed by fear you can imagine what we can accomplish i think the underlying purpose was really clear for me that was that was the key there yes the underlying purpose and the underlying meaning and the underlying narrative for me was very clear Mm -hmm. You know, there's no ambiguity in it about it whatsoever. And because I kind of grew up in that narrative and that and that purpose, it was just natural for me. You know, yeah. there was there was no ambiguity whatsoever. It was just very clear. Uh, and, you know, people didn't say I was delusional to me, but I'm sure they said it when I wasn't there because I was just like, so whatever. It's like, you know, I don't give a, a monkey is exactly what you say. Did to you have me. a practice of your own when you were before you left? Yeah, so I was, I mean, I, I was, yeah, I mean, I was working the NHS at the time. Okay. And my colleagues were like, Are you all right, Haider? You know, what about your pension? What I was like, What about my pension? It's like, This is, this is what I want. This is part and parcel of, of who I am. And when I did go there and I, and you know what, when we did break down in Fallujah, I thought, Right, my head's going to be chopped off because I'm Shia, the area is Sunni. And we were sitting there thinking, what are we going to do next? It was me and the driver. Um, and then we saw a couple of um, guys, you know, um, the heads were covered in scarves. They came in a pickup truck, a couple of guys, and one, in, one at the back, and we thought, that's it, we're done that's for. They, they sort of came in and they said, who are you guys? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm this, I'm that. And... Um, we are from Nejef and we're going, I mean, we just told them the truth. You know, we didn't say whatever. Were they armed? They, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they had, I mean, in those days, everyone was armed. You know, everyone had AKs. I mean, my driver had guns in his, you know, I mean, what can you do? It's it's yeah. sort of up for grabs, really. Um, but we told them the truth. We said, we've come from here. We're going to here. It's broken down. Can you help us? They looked at us. They looked in our eyes. They thought, well, there's a couple of, you know, strangers. And they said, yeah, fine. Um, They checked the car. They fixed it up. We didn't have any petrol. They took us to a sort of a derelict um, place. It had like um, um, one of these big 
petrol tankers, which they'd probably stolen or something because it had like American sort of, <laughs> you know, the US Army or I'm something. Just imagining all this, you know, as you're now. It was weird. But, you know, at the time, at the time, you don't think about these things. It's just automatic. You know, sort of going back, it's like crazy. But at the time, it was just, just life. You just, you don't think about all the permutations and combinations that might, you know, that might happen and so on. And we were just really pleasantly surprised. We thought, wow, you know, these Sunni brothers were amazing. And they were like, here you go. Do you need anything else? Whatever. And then they said, please, please, you know, when you go to Negev, please pray for us. And, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was just an amazing, it was an amazing feeling. And then we drove down. Um, I got to my uncle's and he was like, what the hell are you doing here? You know, are you crazy? Well, you've come all this way. And yeah, they were quite surprised seeing that this man from, from the West who'd, who'd never been to Iraq for 29 years. Um, and, you know, I, I guess they thought, well, you know, he's got a purpose in life, isn't that? You know, yeah. he's got something that uh, that was driving him. And yeah, so then essentially I decided to kind of that's it I'm 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 going back home I'm 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 going to set up my my eye service here and in Iraq in Iraq and then yeah. I went back back to the UK my wife and kids were, were were in the UK at the time and I told my wife and she was like yeah you're joking aren't you are you, are you all right and I was like no this is this is it this is this this really speaks to me this is what I want to make my life about um so yeah, I was I was going back every um, six months. So did you study um, or practice in Iraq? Yeah, so I mean, I was I was I was going back and and you know meeting with with the other ophthalmologists and you know setting things up and helping training and teaching and doing surgery and you know this went on and then I set up a charity in two thousand six called Al Hassan Foundation and we did that for about uh, until two thousand ten. And then I decided to sell up here and go back to Iraq because I thought, you know, for me to do some proper work, I need to be based there and, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you know, living there. And surprise, surprise, we got some serious money from the U.S. Army, which was a bit weird. Um, and the U.K. Um, DFID, uh, it was called at the, uh, the time, Department for, for, for something Foreign and International Love. Development. So. Yeah um i guess i'm good at negotiating and and you know just just sort of arguing my case for the need of of serious funding for the improvement of uh the eye services in iraq and you know we 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 did some good stuff and um we set up a few clinics and a few services and a couple of hospitals and um that's incredible so that was 2010 and then we sort of went back and then I settled down and um, and I think I kind of matured and I kind of changed and I thought to myself, is this, is this narrative my narrative? <laughs> you know, when you start having doubts. Wait, no, wait. Yeah, the narrative is now changing. It's like, I think I just matured. Mm-hmm. I think I just matured. And, you know, so, so from, from 2010, 2012, I mean, 2011, it was fine. And then a kind of middle way through, I thought, mm, let me have a rethink here. You know, and I was, how old was I at the time? I was about 35, 36. And I think it's, it, 
it's the usual male thing you know once you get to 40s you know you have a, a bit of a crisis and i was thinking hmm because when i was traveling and you know there was a you know a lot of tension and you know challenge your family was here your family was yeah here. i mean were you yeah. going back and forth were you visiting you know them every now and then well you know i've got uncles and aunts in iraq then my in-laws went back to iraq and they settled in iraq so the wife was happy for her to go back i mean obviously iraq is such a difficult place to live in you can imagine you know with constant conflicts and you know constant um problems within the government and within tribes and you know the whole infrastructure was was decimated and you know the infrastructure is still an issue at the moment um and you know there's no proper political uh, stability there um so that was a major issue so it's not as if it's you know it's not like the middle east as in emirates and qatar and you know these areas were you know which is politically quite stable um so it wasn't great but i guess you had a bit of a challenge there a bit of adventure mm-hmm. you know lots of things going up and down so once i kind of settled there it was like i guess it was too easy i guess i don't know i don't know what it was but plus i was changing and then it's different because when you live there and you live within the people mm-hmm. and then you see the contradictions in faith and then how people deal with you and is this a faith issue is this a religious issue is this an ethnic issue is this a cultural issue so i started having more and more questions um but ultimately i wasn't happy because i think you know that clarity of purpose was slowly disappearing it's like well i've done it now haven't i you know i've done this goal what's the question of what next what next it's like what next and and um Yeah, and it was a pretty, uh, you see, that's the problem with questions. If you ask too many questions, you kind of, you break everything down. You know, that's where the kind of the cognitive dissonance happens. Because mm-hmm. if you ask too many questions and you lose the clarity in your meaning and purpose, you get a lot of cognitive dissonance and it causes a lot of damage for a lot of people. So are you saying that it's not, you know, asking a lot of questions is not, Good. I don't think so. I think uh, I think you've got to r- ask the right questions. I right. think you've got to ask the right questions. But well, there's that the problem. Not like a stupid question, and you have people that ask stupid questions. And I think it's that. different when you ask questions other people. That's fine. But when you start asking questions about yourself, okay, to yourself. Yes. Where self doubt comes in. Yeah, I, I I think so. You know, if you ask yourself too many questions and you make it more of a cognitive process rather than a heart and a feeling process so that, that brings me to the question that you know and it just cost me myself what is the relationship between ophthalmology and psychotherapy because ophthalmology is all about you know obviously eye health you know and vision and then psychotherapy is the analytical side of a whole being in terms yeah. of behavior and whatever it is that's going on with them what what's the i haven't answered the question because you're the specialist here so i want to yeah let's hear it from your from your from i your. think it was just circumstance i think it was just circumstance i became an ophthalmologist out of circumstance because i finished medical school i hated medical school because it was too physical too reductionist and too 
pigeon boxed and you know coming from a family which is all about mysticism and spirituality and, and the metaphysical you're you're open to a broader experience but when you go through medical school it's literally a b c and d equals z that's it you can't so are you so saying I, that there's no relationship so i'm talking about the science itself the science of ophthalmology and the science of psychotherapy yeah do they well, meet somewhere in the middle because they do they do. I, I, th I think ultimately you need to experience all of it for you to understand where they fit in. So I came out of medical school actually not liking medicine and I was finding a way out. Um, and I just happened to land into ophthalmology. You know, um, I didn't like hospital medicine because I found it really depressing and it was just why? sick. Why, why did you find depressing? Sick people everywhere. Okay. And that's what not what we're getting into. That's not that's not why I went to medicine. I went to medicine to heal people, mm -hmm. not to just you know give them drugs and prolong their um... right, 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 right. I mean, it's a different kind of way of thinking. I think yeah. the Eastern I, way I, of I, thinking I is 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 about healing. The Eastern way of, of thinking is about he healing. The Western it's, method it's, it's, is. Don't even get me started on that because I have a whole thing about the way you know doctors, hospitals are treating people and like you rightly said it's right they're not healing it's not healing it's not healing it's, it's reducing pain and prolonging life thank probably. you for saying that thank you for saying that i might get in trouble with that but say it again please dr hader no dr. i Hader, said it once <laughs> i said it once the gmc is going to strike me off here <laughs> Let's not get them started now. Big farmers, yeah. like they were like, we're, yeah, yeah, you know, we're coming for yes. you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I was just pushing medication, and I thought, oh, that's mm, so what? Gosh. So I was finding, trying to find a way out, and then I happened to come across ophthalmology. I just applied for the job. Mm -hmm. I, I thought, well, ophthalmology. I'd, I'd never done any ophthalmology before. I applied for the job. The boss happened to come from the same medical school as me. And he liked me, obviously, because I'm such a likable individual. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Maybe it's my nose. I don't know what it was. I must have cracked out a few jokes. And he said, oh, I like you. We're going to hire you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was the ex-president of the Royal College as well. So he was a big, oh, wow. he was yeah, the big wig. I must have tickled him in the right place. And then that's how I got into ophthalmology. And I thought, oh, this is nice because there's a bit of surgery, a bit of medicine mm -hmm. and then I did all sorts of things in, in ophthalmology really nice I went to the Himalayas I went to Kathmandu I went to some weird and wonderful places and you know what it's like you know yeah you just do lots of interesting stuff mm -hmm. and then the opportunity came along in in Iraq I went there did that then I had my, my existential crisis and I had to find well ophthalmology is not doing it anymore what is it Mm -hmm. And then I went into the field of, I thought, well, I, actually, I started listening to, to podcasts and sort of other people's perspectives. And I thought to myself, ah, the, there's an alternative reality for me out there. Mm -hmm. And then I got involved in NLP and hypnosis and okay, coaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. I met, you know, I met a few times with Richard Bandler, you know, the... You did meet Richard Bandler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. When did you do your... Because I did mine with Richard Bandler as well. This was 2016. And then I had the seven day training at the hotel in, um, oh gosh. At uh, Kensington. At Kensington, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. I was there. You had um, Paul, there was a day that Paul yeah. 
Paul McKenna. Paul McKenna, actually. We were there together. Yeah, I thought I saw you somewhere. No, 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 for real. I was at that one. That was was when I got mine in 2016 as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, I know Paul McKenna personally. because you know him? Yeah, yeah, because of... He's a weird guy, isn't he? Well... uh, you know, I really like the guy because yeah. you know, you know, we've treated you know, what uh, you know, whatever. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah," and I was like, "Really?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah." And I was like, "Okay," and um, but yeah, I wasn't much of a fan of Richard Bandler, but you know, the guy's effective. Interesting, you know, but I was a fan of him because, like you said, he was effective. He knew what he was yeah, talking yeah, about, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's that's... it's just that clarity, isn't it? It's just that clarity. Very clear. Very clear. And then, and then I um. And then I, you know, found out, you know, about uh, psychotherapy and then I found out about psychoanalysis and then I started really reading about uh, Sigmund Freud and then I did mm-hmm. a diploma in uh, psychoanalysis and then I went through analysis myself, but more Jungian analysis, which I really enjoyed. What analysis? Uh, Carl Jung analysis. So Jungian, Jung. uh, yeah, yeah. So I saw um, a Jungian analyst and I had analysis myself and I'm contemplating doing a full, um, they've got a three-year course where you go to Switzerland and you live with the Jungian analyst there and okay. you get a diploma in Jungian analyst. And, but the thing with all these kind of, you know, ideologies is that you have to subscribe to the right, you know, ideology. And I'm yeah. not really, a, I'm not really a well, fan of that. Exactly. But I, I was just going to say that, but if you don't, I mean, you, what what is wrong in taking what they've done and you know putting it into your own narrative? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what I did. Be a follower of someone, you know. Um, no, what... I mean, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you've got to discipline yourself in a discipline first to understand it before you can actually come out of it apply and, it. and apply it to your own uh, way of thinking and uh, way of doing. So that that got me really interested in this whole thing about that 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 actually there's more to life than just the physical. And in ophthalmology, it's pretty much banded in the physical. But you realize that there's more than the physical. And I guess that- oh, is, it, is it though, with ophthalmology, is it just bam? Because vision is not just through the eyes, it's also with the mind. You are absolutely right, because vision is actually not just in the eyes, it's not just in the brain. The eyes connected to the whole mm-hmm. spinal exactly. system. Yeah. So, you know, the eye vision is much more than just the eye. But, you know, being an ophthalmologist, we just deal with the eye. Mm. And then anything that goes behind the optic nerve, you get sent for the neurologist. So it, it's very much segmented and mm. you're not allowed to kind of go beyond that. But with interesting. So, you, see, you know, this is, this is where if I was an ophthalmologist, I would go beyond that because I, I want to know what's behind. Yeah. Physical yeah. Eye. And, you know, a lot of people that come and see us. Um, in ophthalmology, you know, have complicated issues which cannot be explained just by the eyes. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to explain oh, things, you an example, you know, for example, glaucoma. Okay. So, you know, treatment of glaucoma, which is a disease that affects the optic nerve, an ophthalmologist would treat that just by lowering the intraocular pressure. Okay. And you can either do that with drops or laser or surgery. Mm-hmm. That's the only modality that we have. Now they're kind of talking about neuroprotection. Okay. What does that involve? Well, you know, because we're doctors, we've got to have a pill and, you know, stuff like that. So they're talking about 
B vitamins. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Come on, that. that's everywhere. You know, so it's, you see, in medicine, you can only tread carefully. Yes. I mean, you know, we saw what we happened, you know, in the pandemic. You can yeah. just tread carefully. If yeah. you if you tread a bit too much, you get cancelled. Yeah. Um, whereas in the world of psychology, you can you actually, so let's tread carefully. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, in the world of psychology, you can actually go anywhere, really, mm. because everything's up for grabs. I think, which well, was why quite is that the case, though, because psychology is also a form of medicine. Won't you say? Um, it's more acceptable to kind of talk about these things in a, in, in a weird and wonderful way because it's not so regulated. So I think it's because of the lack of regulation. Uh, and also, the field of psychology, psychology yeah. analysis and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's sort Is of that less... why we have people who are counsellors, you know, what do you call them, um, therapists who are not medical doctors and they can just go and start yeah. providing... Yeah, it's less regulated, plus there's less money involved. So, you know, yeah. the more money that's involved, the more, the more, you know, the more regulation and the more that there is sort of an overseeing um, government power. So, I, you know, I think that's the region, reason. But, you know, the thing is, is that if you're a creative, you know, like yourself and like me, you don't like to be stifled. No, absolutely. You, know, you don't want to be put in a straitjacket. I mean, it's good. I, you know, if you can do an efficient cataract operation and you're happy with that and it's, and it's your life purpose or whatever, or, or you've got life purposes outside of work, that's fine. You know, that's, if that's your cup of tea, go for it, enjoy it, mm -hmm. you know, knock yourself out. Um, I mean, I could have been quite happy staying in Iraq and just running things, but it was eating up inside of me thinking, no, there's something else here um the unsettling feeling was, was was too great and i guess that's my thing but over the years i've decided you know i found out that actually settling down is not such a bad thing because then you can get you can get better at, at the thing that you do so i've knuckled down really in my ophthalmology which i'm enjoying and also my uh, psychotherapy which i'm you know enjoying because you can actually talk about anything and and uh, anyone uh, at the same time, and it's within a therapeutic relationship, yeah. uh, and you'd hope it's within a healing relationship, and it's all about words and ideas and stories and narratives and mm -hmm. and you know I like to listen. You know I'm a nosy guy, so I like to listen to people and what they get up to and you get to know what's really troubling them. Yeah, and if I can give them some advice, I think I think that would be beneficial. But you know. You've got to make sure that it's not you that's making the changes. Otherwise, you get quite hubristic and you think that you're the one who's... When you say it's not you making the changes, what are you talking about? Well, let's just say that, that you have the answers yourself and you just need someone to kind of make it clear for you. It's like you and your, your gym. It's, it's like obvious, you know? Yes. But I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to take that, that mantle or that credit that you're doing it. And I think that's disingenuous. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. So you allow the patient come to their own conclusion, basically. That yeah, that, that, but also 
I mean, I personally don't know what I want in my mind because it's it's complicated and there's lots of things going on. How the hell will I know what you want in your mind and what's going on in your head? You never know. I don't. I don't. I don't. So, you know, who am I to tell you what's going on? in? And, and I get into arguments with other psychologists all the time because they can be quite condescending and quite... Um, you know, too 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 self righteous and, and preachy. Oh, this is what's wrong with you. This is the, the, the. and I'm thinking, no, no, you can't do that. No. And you know that's, but that's what it's turned into. It, it's it's kind of turned into this kind of descriptive scientific, you know, methodology, which I'm not really a fan of. Which is why I'm kind of, I mean, I've done the training, but. You know, I wouldn't go down that route. Which is why, which is why I, you know, and I, I said this to you the last time we spoke, um, and I have this desire to to help people because when I hear of some of the treatments a lot of people have gotten, you know, from visiting a therapist, uh, you know, psychologist, shrink, whatever I want to call it, it shocks me. And they're still in that, they're still, they're still, they're still not um, getting the help they need. You know, and I think they've been lied to many times as well. And that's why they keep having this repeat occurrence of whatever it is that they're struggling with. Yeah, well, so. I mean, I mean, in any, any therapeutic relationship, the, there's a couple of principles. The first principle is that you've got to decide that you're going to tell the truth to the patient and the patient tells the truth to you. Yeah. And well, how do you get a patient to tell you the truth? Well, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, how do you know whether they're telling the truth or not? You can only presume that, but but you need to make it clear that the therapeutic relationship will not happen if truth is not involved. Absolutely. And then the second thing is that the client or the patient has to want to get better. And I've seen so many patients who, who just don't want to get better. You know, um, you know, I mean, there has to be an... It's, it's, not, it's not a form of, uh, what's it called, Munchausen, Munchausen syndrome where... It's not that complicated. It's not that, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. People do not want to get better. Why? Uh, I guess it's easier. I guess it's easier that they don't want to get better because they're in the same rut and they've got used to this role yeah. of being victims or being, you know... Um, unhappy individual mind it's comfortable it's comfortable but it kills them wow you know and that's what kills people you know that's what gives them chronic diseases and you know i mean that's in my uh, non-scientific humble opinion mm -hmm. um that's what kills people because you're too comfortable and once you get too comfortable that's wow. it it's sort of so you need this constant kind of edge you know this sort of constant um uh, balancing act between the comfortable and the uncomfortable. You can't go too comfortable. You can't go too uncomfortable. It's sort of. Is that why doctors then only prescribe and do not? And yes, they are trying to treat the physical, the ill health, and well, they're heavily regulated. You see, that's why. Yes, they're 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 heavily heavily regulated. They get that's paid all well. That's healing, though. They're heavily regulated. They it's get paid well. 
they, they've got a nice Porsche, they've got a nice, oh, uh, you know, they get their 2.5 holidays in, you know, Monte Carlo. Look, they're not going to rock the boat. Okay. And that's what it is. It's comfortable. But, you know, I'm, in the end, I, I can't be a doctor, you know, because yeah. I, I probably won't practice. I won't practice the way it's supposed to be done. It, it's supposed to be about healing. Yeah. Well, I think when I was in, in the East, when I was working in Iraq, it, what was it, it like was, there? Yes. Uh, what was it like? That's regulated? No, no, you no. can do pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but then look, I mean, there, there's there's a lot more charlatan that's there, and there's a lot more, you know, unregulated work. So I mean, it, it's a difficult balance. I, you know, I'm, I, it's it's not easy. It's it's not easy. But, but I think you have this consciousness, which is what it's about, and a lot of people are fighting with their consciousness on a on a regular basis. And I, I think that's the thing that, that holds them in place. It's not really the regulation. It's more about their consciousness. And that's the thing that puts them on the right track. Because if they, if they deviate just slightly from that, they pay the price and, you know, they see the reactions of it. So, um, yeah, I don't think I was mature I, enough, to be honest. About, about consciousness there. And I, I'm going to use myself as an example to um narrate this see i'm i'm I, I, I like to think that i'm a very conscious person aware you know more self-aware now than i ever was entirely you know what about my physical and my spiritual and also my well my health and um obviously so this is taking 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 us back to the whole pandemic thing you know and um I did my own research with the COVID and so on and so forth, a bit more of it. Had a number of debates here and there, you know, and I thought, okay, I'm well informed. And I chose not to be vaccinated. I'm just going to wait this out, you know. And um, I just feel that when you are conscious and not driven by popular opinion, you can make more informed decision when you take your own well-being into your hands as support and not allow someone else to decide that for you. Um, a number of people I know, and I'm not knocking anyone for whatever decision they made, that's their decision, whatever you know informed them to make that decision, that's them. But a number of people around me who um, obviously took the vaccine, some had, some were okay. Quite a number of them had reactions. My sister was one of them. She almost died as a result of taking the, you know, the COVID vaccine. And I asked her why she took it. She said, well, that's what we are being asked to do. Why should that be the, the reason why you do anything? Because someone is asking you to do it. It's not, is it good for you? My two daughters had COVID. They were, well, they tested, you know, positive for COVID. They were with me, nothing changed. I held them, I kissed them as normal, just like they will have a cold. I didn't come down with nothing. You know, so I think when we allow ourselves to absorb a lot of the noise around us, we are also creating 
imbalances, chemical imbalances within ourselves. I'm not a doctor. You probably, you know this way more than I do. What's well, even as doctors, that? even as doctors, we can't say what we want, which is, yes, which, that I like. which has been so damaging over the last wow. two, uh, two years. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I can't elaborate. Any I know. I, I don't know. I don't, expect <laughs> you to, I don't want you to. <laughs> I'm just thinking about mine as a non-doctor. But I, I think what's freedom. important, I, I, you know, there's a couple of things. Well, once, what, what's important is that first you do things that strengthen you rather than weaken Break you. Break you down. Yeah, weakens you. And one of the biggest ways to actually weaken you is to lie about lie. what's inside of you. Lie, yes. You, you know when you lie to yourself. Mm. Look, I don't know the truth. Some people may know the truth, but I don't know all the truth because I don't have all the information. I can try my best, mm -hmm. but I know when I'm lying. I know when I'm not telling the truth. Yes. Because it eats up inside of you. And the reason why yes. it took me a year and a half to kind of realize that I wasn't happy in Iraq back in 2000 is I was lying to myself. I said, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It wasn't fine. So that's one thing, you know, I mean, if you lie to yourself so many times, you, you get this self-delusional state. You and start then, kidding yourself. But that's the, the most dangerous thing about getting into that self-delusional state is that you believe your lies and your lies become the truth. It becomes a truth until reality hits it, you in the head and then you get a total breakdown and then you got to work your way back up again. So instead of actually having an absolute break, I mean, look, we all have absolute breakdowns and it's because our system is built to avoid, you know, really difficult things because it's too stressful, but eventually you will have wall and then you've got to start again. And that's fine because that's life. But mm -hmm. the important thing is, is that you've still got to work through it. <laughs> no, no matter what happens, whether it's a big wall or you've just got to work through it that's the only way you're going to survive in this world is keep working through it and eventually you'll get to a wall which you can't get over and then you die and that's the end of you and that's just life mm -hmm. so but hey you've got to keep keep going and keep keep telling the right you know the truth to yourself or 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 not lie and keep doing the thing that strengthens you and um until you become totally delusional <laughs> And then something else comes along. I don't think anyone deliberately wants to be totally delusional or what? No, I mean, it happens. I mean, it happens. And, yeah. you know, there's lots of um, people out there who become totally delusional. And, you know, I've seen it many, many times in my practice and, and uh, in, in, in life in general. And, you know, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, the book is all yes, about... Yes, what, what, what's the book? So let, let us know what the book is. So the, biggest, uh, the book's called Physician on Fire. Mm -hmm. And it's about getting over stress and burnout um and that's what it's about it's sort of how to get out of this sort of self-delusional self uh inf you know inflicted it is self-inflicted uh, you know it is yeah 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 it's all self-inflicted physician on fire is that is that you the physician or physicians in general or does it apply no, to it, it's it, it, it's me on fire because I'm burning out yeah. and like, you know, how do I get back to back on my feet again? Mm. And it's sort of different ways in which you can get back on your feet again and stop being totally on fire and burnt out into a crisp and until there's nothing left of you. 
There's so much to learn from that. Yeah, and you know, it's all stories because yeah. stories are, are the only things that we work on. I mean, a whole system is built on stories and stories are the most powerful way of delivering the best of messages. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's so inbuilt within our system. I mean, it's it, it's older than science, it's older than religion, it's older than all the mythologies. And, mm. you know, that's how we used to do it, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, sit around and mime stories before we could speak. Mm -hmm. um, and then essentially draw stories before we can speak. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually we started speaking stories. And then we realized that we can write these stories. Mm -hmm. And then we turned it into into rules and and you know how to govern our lives and then it turned into regulations and then it turned into industries and this is where we are now <laughs> the, so, <laughs> the, the masters of the of the stories that control that controls the world today yeah. have been they've really perfected the art of well, their storytelling see, yeah i mean the book is just stories of failures because that's the most powerful way of delivering stories it's that's, that's it, interesting you said that yeah 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 it's 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 failure because it shows you how not to do it mm. and then you'll see how to do it afterwards so essentially i mean you know the archaic and the most mythological story is is the hero myth because it's someone who makes a total mess of things is down in in the dumps and then finds a way of getting out again and, and well, you know people that, don't want to talk about their failures what was that people don't want to talk about their failures they, they just hide their failures and only portray you know it's, what it's, it's transformational i mean when i read it i cringe because it's not nice talking about your failures and mm. it's horrible and you think they're thinking oh my god but you know i mean what does it do for you to talk about your failures uh it doesn't do anything now because i know i've got failures to come next you know? <laughs> it's like i well, did some this people say it's therapeutical that we're talking about your failure helps them realize that okay well yeah this failure happened in my life i I've mean got more to come mate i got more to come oh, so, absolutely i wish you so, welcome them so i'm i'm thinking right I was a real idiot here. God knows what kind of idiot I'm going to be in five to ten years' time. Yeah. But hey, you know that's because you know you never finish. You're mm. you're you're never a finished article. But you know that's life, isn't it? You just, it is life. It is absolutely life. Yeah. Just just keep making one mistake after another, and we learn from them. And I like Hope to so. say, you know, that there are you know yes, hopefully, because some people don't learn from their failures. Yeah, yeah, get into the gym, mate. Come on. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. I'm going to be there. I need to get this back. You know, not just yeah, that yeah. back, my, my whole fitness, you know. Um, no, it's good. Yeah, idea. so I'm definitely going to get back into the gym, you know, and I promise myself before the end of March, I'll be back there. Um, good, good. Yeah. Now, what inspired you to be known or to be called the third eye doctor? What is uh, that about? It's a bit of a mistake, really. Bit, bit of, <laughs> How um, is it a mistake? Why well, are you a third eye doctor? Well, I, I was I was seeing a business coach at the time, and I was telling him about what, what I was doing. I, I was doing co coaching at the time, sort of okay. um, NLP coaching. You've done a lot. You've, you know, been a, you, you, you don't hold back. You just keep 
taking those risks. And well, doing- you know, you see something glistening. You see something glistening in 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 the in the bushes. You think, what's that? Let, let me see what it is. And then you get bitter and you think, no, that's that's okay. <laughs> I'll, leave. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Yeah. And then and then you just get back onto the path. So I mean, you know, I did all these different things and. So I saw this coach and he was like, oh, you're an eye doctor. Well, you know, why don't you change it to third, the third eye doctor? And I thought, oh, yeah, it had a bit of a ring to it. And I was in a, I was in a business um, network meeting and stuff like that. And then this guy from Birmingham comes along and he said, oh, you're the third eye doctor, aren't you? He goes, yeah. How do you yeah, know you? I don't know. Yeah. And then, and then he said, do you, do, you, do, you know, do you know what the third eye means? It means, it means like, you know, the orifice of your penis. You know, that's what, what it means. Is that, that's not what it means. <laughs> and I was like, really? He goes, yeah, you know. And I thought, I mean, you know, there's more of a racial connotation to it. I'm not going to repeat what, what he said. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he used the racial connotation. And I was like, really? So I thought, oh, that's a bit Tell of what a... I thought after, after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious now. I want to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, so he said that's what it means, and I thought, oh my god! And but you know, I think at the time I I wasn't comfortable totally in my name. Um, so you know, using an alias means you're not totally comfortable. And I wasn't at the time totally comfortable with with Hyder Al Hakim because yeah, you find, you know you you find that I actually went through that you know at one point you know where I wasn't comfortable with my name and I was just trying to fit in, and that's when I came to the UK. Well, why do we go through why do we go through that period? As yeah, I mean, it's this non-indigenous of the UK. Yeah, we we, we had this in, inferiority complex. So, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, you know, the Brits came in and, you know, they set up the whole army system, the legal system, the medical system. So you kind of, right, it's not really my system, it's their system. Mm-hmm. So you're subordinate to that, you know, that whole culture. Um so I think that's where that comes from, you know, having that negative uh, or inferiority complex, complex mindset. Yeah. yeah. Um, until you sort of realize that they're just human beings like everyone else. And, yeah, you know, they made many mistakes. And, you know, if we're going to forgive ourselves, we need to forgive other people. And that's the way forward, really. You know, and rather, that, you rather know than... it's, it's really self-defeating to, you know, to not be who we are, not really own our own background and want to. Look, we all make mistakes. I mean, I've had so many times in my life where uh, family close to me have made horrendous mistakes. Um, and, you know, I was I was the victim of it. But I'm not going to keep okay. I'm not going to keep beating that that drum all the time no, no, of course not of course not yeah i've got to forgive i've got to understand why they did it and then find a resolution between the two and that's the only way forward we can't just keep beating the same drum over and over again and yeah we just got to move forward because otherwise yeah. we're in constant dis-ease mm. disease and that's it you know constantly diseased uh, and you know what that is interesting. Diseased, as in disease of the body, and yeah. we could end up being diseased entirely. Yeah, diseased but, and just constant dis-ease. Mm-hmm. We're not at ease anymore. We're not at ease. Yes. Yeah. I like that. You know, yeah. that is um, and it's really fascinating learning all these different. We've got uh, to work together. That's what it's about. We've got that's to what it's about. Yeah. We've got to work together. We've got to negotiate and then come up with a common ground which we can all move forward. Move forward with. because. If, if, I don't have the upper hand. You don't have the upper hand. 
you know we both have privileges and we move forward with that mm -hmm. exactly exactly wow now you've shared so much you know you you know there's so much about you that you know and you've shared so much shed so much light into your own risk-taking ventures you know as a doctor doing what you do and helping out and you know going back to iraq to help out and set up i'm sure yeah, i mean i can hope you know that still today yeah, I mean, I can hope your listeners can sort of realize that, you know, life is a risk, doing anything is a risk, but it's more risky not to do, not to do it. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. That is so true. Thank you for saying that. That is so true. Because we just have to take those risks, you know, and um, if you fail, you learn from the failure and move forward. And then you can take bigger risks. You can take bigger risks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Haydar. It's been a pleasure. My last question for you is the superhero question. Yeah. I like to ask this at the end of every, every podcast. Uh, and the question is, which superhero, person, fictional, living or dead, do you have something in common with and what is that thing? I mean, I was going to say the Grim Reaper, you know. <laughs> like, uh, like, I like to take people's lives, you know. <laughs> But that's not very super. Let's get your patience away, doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not very superhero like. Um, but yeah, Gr yeah, Grim Reaper. I can't. I mean, I've always liked Batman. I think Batman is. Everybody's is... saying Batman. Yeah. Every most. Yeah. Okay, let's choose someone else. You know the guy in. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a fictional character. I, I mean... You know the guy in. You know the guy with. You know, um, what's his name? He has the red mask. He's got the two swords. Um, what's his name? Um, red. Oh, Mask of Zorro, not Mask of Zorro. No, no, no. I re recently had a film. You know, he keeps making mistakes. He's a bit of a joker. Um, he cuts people up, and I can't remember the name. What's what's the? Um, I have no idea. I can't. I can't the, think. The red mask guy. Red mask. He wears a red mask. Yeah, yeah, he wears a red... I mean, it's a recent film, Red Mask Superhero. But basically, he's he's very flawed. Mm -hmm. He's very flawed. What's his name? What's his name? Here, here he is. Ray Rayan Reynolds. Oh, Deadpool. That's the one, Deadpool. Oh, Deadpool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, if I was I'm a superhero... Sure I'm sure the time we took us to find out, you know, listeners would have been shouting from wherever they are. Yeah, yeah. Deadpool, it's yeah. Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool. <laughs> I'd be Deadpool. What about him? Know. What about him? Well, he's got a nice, he's got a nice girlfriend. He likes, you know, he likes to have sex all the time. And, you know, he gets into fights all the time. He makes, and he's a funny guy and he's lost. He's all over the place. So I think, yeah, I'd be a Deadpool. And what do you have in common with him? What, him? Yes. Lots of sex with women, I think that's... that's... <laughs> I be with your wife. <laughs> of course, of course. But if I was a superhero, make that clear so she doesn't hear this podcast. Well, if, if hey, I was, look, I'm in. I'm always in trouble with the wife. I'm always in trouble with the wife. You know, she's. You know, she's. She's the most patient person ever. So that's amazing. I don't know why she's still married to me, but hey, you know, it's it's love. Twenty one years. I'm sure there's a mutual. There's a mutual love there. I respect. That's why you guys are. You know, stuck together. Yeah. No, you're right. Twenty. I. I think. That's something that I've I've learned the hard way, you know, being more respectful of 
of of of religion and, and institutions and you know um values, you know, values yeah, yeah va- values and and you know the whole um patriarchal system i've i've become much more um respectful of 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 the old culture because yeah you know they made us and we can update things and that's our job you know being alive and in this modern world and the next generation will update our own mistakes and and uh, follies yes absolutely dr Hader, thank you so much for spending this time with me it's been a pleasure my goodness i could let this go on this i'm sure we can talk for two hours three hours i'll just split it i'll split it into three parts <laughs> Well, listen, it's, it's been a pleasure. I've loved every moment of it. And, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners are really going to appreciate, you know, listening to you. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have you on the podcast, my my podcast. So. Yes, yes, your own podcast. You're, we, didn't, we didn't even say that. You, you know, you're a podcast host as well. Yeah, yes, yeah, Surgical Spirit Podcast. It's uh, We've done our 60th episode now, so... Um, Amazing. I think, you know, you'll be the 65th, I think. Amazing. Like that. I hope I get to 60, 65 years old and beyond. <laughs> no, you will do. You will do. You've got good genes. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to being on your podcast and, um, you know, sharing what I have with your listeners as well, who are mainly doctors, obviously, your, your listeners. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, they are. Fantastic. No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time to listen to this episode with Dr. Hader. This episode is full of lessons in risk-taking and I hope it serves you well. What was the highlight for you in this conversation with Dr. Hader? Was it the risk he took to go to Iraq during the war to help save lives by opening up eye clinics and hospitals? To me, this episode was like having a discussion with a friend, sharing his life lessons with me. And I hope that was the case with you. Let us know. Find the send in a voice message link in the show bio and use that to send us a voice message to let us know how this episode made you feel. I hope it has inspired you and opened up your mind to new possibilities that will bring you reward in life. Check out our new shows every week and please click the follow or subscribe button to be notified when we have new shows released. I am your host, your risk champ, Chisabelle Gudo, here on the School of Risk podcast. Until next time, keep this in mind. If you are not consciously taking risks, you limit the possibilities life could open up to you. Thank you for listening.